0: If the Lord was to ask you, Do you love me? What would you answer. You remember that Jesus asked Peter this on one occasion three times. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? How do we love the Lord? I, most people who claim to be a Christian, of course, say, Yes, I love the Lord. <laughs> we need to ask ourselves, Do we truly love the Lord? There are certain things that if we don't love the Lord, we'll never receive. God has an eternal plan, and we read about that in Ephesians chapter 1, the first uh, few verses, you look over at Ephesians, and he talks about how that he has always had in his mind before the foundation of the world certain things, blessings that are found in Christ. In fact, all spiritual blessings are found in him, and this has been in his mind before he ever created the world or man. You notice in Ephesians chapter 1 there, he begins in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined to adopt us as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the blood. And in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And all that was in his mind before he ever created the world. He's had in mind to send his son that we might have forgiveness. That we might have redemption. It says he chose us in him. Predestined this. You know the Bible teaches predestination. It's not the predestination that most have in mind in teaching the denominations. They teach that God predetermined, and that's all predestination means, that God predetermined something beforehand. They say that God predetermined those whom he's going to save and those who will be lost. Uh, They call that unconditional election. God chose or elected who he's going to save and chose not to save others. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that that God did predestine, predetermine certain things before the foundation of the world, but he chose those whom he would save, those who would find redemption and forgiveness, as to those who would be in his son. And in his mind before the foundation of the world, he had determined the conditions that would put someone in his son. And it would be those who would love him, who would not only believe in his son, but obey his son. A lot of people say, well, I, I, love, I love the Lord, and I'm sure that you could go throughout uh, this county, and you could ask people, members of different churches, and ask them, do you love the Lord? And they say, yes, I love the Lord, and yet they don't follow what he says in his, uh, in his word for what they do in their lives and maybe what they do in their worship. They say, oh, yes, I love the Lord, and yet they've not come in obedience to him to serve him. They, they may say, well, I believe him, but we'll see that it takes more than just believing the Lord to, to love the Lord. You've got to believe him and obey him to love him. And there are certain promises that are given to those who love him. Now, the reason we love him or we should show our love is because of the love that he's extended to us. And the passage, Brother Rader read to us tonight, uh, it talks about the love that God's extended to us and, and the love that we have and if, as we're perfected in that love, it allows us to be in a, a very close relationship with God. So close and so personal that we don't have to even have fear when he comes. Now, there's a sense at which we are always fear God. We've been studying the Proverbs. It talks about that uh, the fear of God is the beginning of, of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. Uh, there's, we've got to fear God and respect him, but we... As we come into a relationship through that reverence that we have, we show our love for him and grow in our relationship to him that we don't have to fear his coming. We look forward to it. We talked about that this morning. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, it talks about how that our citizenship's in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We look forward to it. And therefore, it says in 1 John 4 and verse 19, we love because he first loved us. When you think about what he'd done for us, how much he loved us, then we love him. At least we should. You know, God wants our love. God could have created us just like he created everything else. That is, without a choice to praise him and honor him and glorify him. Everything in the world does that involuntarily, doesn't it? You go out here and you look at the beauty of this world, and it involuntarily praises God. It doesn't have a choice. It just praises Him. You go out on a beautiful night. Last night was so beautiful. Rob and I walked uh, around uh, down at the river uh, with no lights down there but the moon, and it was absolutely beautiful. And it just praises God to look at the beauty of His creation. It doesn't have a choice. Now, God wants involuntary service and praise and the whole creation of the world, the whole universe does that. But he also wants voluntary service. He wants voluntary love. You know, the, there's a difference in voluntary praise through the creation and love. You know, the creation doesn't love God. It praises him because of what he's done and, and how it works, and, but it, it doesn't love him. Not in the sense that, that he wants our love. God wants not only involuntary service, he wants voluntary service and love. And that's why he refers to us as who would love him as children and to himself as a father. A father wants love, doesn't he, from his children? He, and he wants it not involuntarily. He doesn't want it because his kids have to love him. He wants it because they want to love him. Because they choose to love him. Now that, that's voluntary service. Love and service. And we can relate to that. God wants that. Desires it. And for those who will love him, he makes wonderful promises. That's what I want to talk to you about. The passages that talk about those who love him. Now you ask yourself, do you love God? We ought to love him because he loved us. And this, this lesson, uh, hopefully, will, will cause us to think about just how much we love God. And if we do, the wonderful promises that he gives us, and if we're not loving him like we ought to, it ought to make us want to change our lives so that we can not only show God what he deserves because he's loved us, but to have the wonderful promises that he makes to those who love him. And when you think about the promises that are made to those who love him, I think how that we said that all this has been in God's mind before the foundation of the world. We said that he had this eternal plan He's predetermined those who would receive these. He's chose those who would be in his son Jesus. And he has predetermined what the conditions would be. It's not unconditional election. It's conditional election. In other words, God chose those who would be. He elected to save those who would be in his son. And has set certain conditions for us to be in his son. Like we talked about this morning. How do you get in Christ Jesus? Well, you're baptized into Christ. Uh, Romans chapter 6 and Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, 27, we're baptized into Christ. But if we'll be in him and show our love toward him, then we have wonderful promises. Now God had had given hints about this all along. From the very beginning when man sinned in in the garden when he cursed Satan, he gave a hint that he had a plan. You know, Jehovah's Witnesses (coughs) denied that God had a plan. And that's where you got to start with them. Because if you deny that God knew that man would sin and that he had an eternal plan and that plan is culminated in Jesus Christ, then you can't get anywhere because that's the whole theme of the scripture starting with Genesis and goes through the end. They deny all those things. And that's where you got to start with those who deny those things. They must believe that God knew about that man was going to sin. They had a plan. That plan was through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And uh, those things are denied by them. But that's what the Bible teaches, And that he had that plan. And he it, it wasn't a, a mystery that God had a plan. What the mystery was throughout the Old Testament period was how he was going to fulfill that plan. That was the mystery. He said that he had a plan when he said he was going to fulfill this plan through the seed of woman in Genesis chapter 3. Or in Genesis chapter 12, that through the seed of Abraham, through thy seed, all nations are going to be blessed. It wasn't a question whether he had a plan, but how he was going to fulfill that plan. But when the fullness of times came, the mystery was no longer. You look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, God has prepared wonderful blessings as he said in Ephesians, that are in Christ Jesus. He prepared that before the foundation of the world from eternity. Now, men didn't know what that was until it was revealed, but he said in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9, Just as it is written, things which I had not seen, ear had not heard, and that which not entered into the heart of man, all that God had prepared for those who love him. And he said the rulers of this world didn't understand, and just for that, he says they'd understood, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of Glory. But now it's been understood, or at least it ought to be. And when he talks about things which I had not seen, the had not heard, things not entered into the heart of man, he's not talking about heaven. I've heard that quoted at funerals, but that's misquoted because that's not what he's talking about in this context. It's true, I, except maybe Paul, who he talked about the man who went up to the third heaven, got to see some things, or, or the apostle John through the revelation. Other than that, then the son, who's in the bosom of the father, he, he descended from heaven, so he, he'd been there. But men hadn't seen heaven. I had not seen it, I not heard it. I understand that, but that's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about is God's eternal plan. Now, they knew God had a plan, but they didn't know what it was, and they didn't really understand how it was going to be fulfilled. I had not seen it, ear had not heard it, it had not even entered into the heart of man about all that God had prepared for those who love him. Do you think? But before the foundation of the world, this t- passage tells us that God had a plan in him. In fact, he had a plan for everyone who would love him. That's just another way of talking about it. he had an eternal predetermined plan for those who would be in Christ Jesus because those are synonymous. Those who would be in Christ Jesus are those who love him. And those who love him, he's got wonderful things in store for them. For example, James says in James chapter 1 and verse 12, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive a crown of life which the Lord has promised to to those who love him. Just underscore this. Who's the crown of life for? We're talking about eternal life. God had in his mind before the foundation of the world that those who would come and be in his son Jesus, for those who would come and love him. He prepared that. I had not seen it, ear had not heard it, but now it's been revealed to the apostles. He went on there in First Corinthians chapter 2 talking about how the Holy Spirit searched the the mind of God, even the deep things of God, and has revealed that to the apostles. And those things, he said, we also teach. We've got that now. It's been revealed. And if we will obey him and follow him, even as we bear up under trials, he says we'll receive the things that God has prepared before the foundation of the world. He said we'll receive a crown of life. That is the things that he's prepared for those who love him. You think about James chapter 2, verse 5. He talks about being an heir to the kingdom. That's just another way of talking about having a crown of life. When you're an heir to the kingdom of God, then you're going to receive an eternal crown of life. He says in verse 5, Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he had promised to those who love him? These promises are not just to everybody. These promises are to those who will love God, which is synonymous with being in Christ Jesus. Because if you love him, you'll be in him. There's all kinds of promises made to those who love him. Eternal promises. Promises that were in the mind of God before he ever created this world. And I think it's interesting that Romans chapter 8, verse 28, says that all things work together for good to them who? To them that love the Lord, for those who love him. Everything's going to work out. That doesn't mean that we live in a bed of roses when we become a Christian. Once you come in Jesus, and it would be in Jesus, by repenting and being baptized into Christ, when you show your love to him because he first loved you, Doesn't mean everything's going to be hunky dory, does it? But it means that if you will love Him and serve Him, all things are going to work out. And it's going to work out for good in the long run, especially in eternity, because we're going to be heirs of the kingdom. We're going to have a a crown of life. And that's been prepared from all eternity for those who love Him. So I ask you again do, do you love the Lord? Do you love him? Well, a lot of promises made for those who would and made before the foundation of the world. He had it in mind. But ask yourself, who are those who love him? A lot of people say they love the Lord. And we can say we love the Lord and and really biblically be guilty of not loving him. So consider, who are those who love the Lord? Well, what did Jesus say in John 8 42? Jesus said, "Those whom God is their father, love me." He said, "If you love, if God was your father, you'd love me." Who was he talking to? He was talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. Now they claimed to be religious people. They claim to be God-loving people. I'd say if you came up to a Pharisee on the road, the kind of fellow that tithed uh, every week and 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 fasted three times a week and prayed on the street corners. If you come up and ask him, fella, do you love God? What do you think he'd say? Well, of course I love God. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know how I live? And he'd probably tell you. I fast three times a week. I do. You, know, you come up to somebody, do you love God? And they may say, well, I go to services three times a week. And I do then, and I do that. But do you love God? You know, we can go through the motions of religion, and still not love God. That's what they did. The scribes and the Pharisees would have said they loved God. But Jesus said in John 8, 42, if if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come upon my own initiative, but he sent me. He went on to tell them that they were not those who had God as their Father. He said, you have your, as your father the devil. That was strong words, wasn't like it? How did they have God, or the, the devil as their father rather than God? He says, because I've spoken the truth, the truth of God, and you've rejected me. In fact, he said, you want to kill me. They hated him. There's a lot of people who say they love God, and yet they don't accept the truth of the Son of God even though they say they love him, they really don't love him. God's not their father. How does God become your father? Some people say, well, you just believe. Believe, accept Jesus as your personal Savior, and you become his child. Pray the prayer, God, for the sake of your son Jesus, come into my heart, and at that moment, you become a child of God. That's what most people teach That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches in John chapter 1 and verse 12, it says, as many as received him. This is talking about Jesus. You remember in verse 1 of this chapter it talks about Jesus as the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he wasn't a created being, as we said the Jehovah's Witnesses deny the fact that God had an eternal plan, and they deny that it's fulfilled through Jesus because they say he's a created being. And they even change in the New World Translation, which is their version of the Bible. It doesn't say, and the Word was God. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God, little g. If you don't believe it, just change it, right? Well, that's doesn't say that. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14 said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But just before that, in verse 12, it's talking about Jesus, and it says, As many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name. You believe in Jesus. You can accept that fact. But that doesn't make you a child of God. It gives you the right to become a child of God. But you're not a child of God yet. You've got to show your love for him by not only believing in him, but by obeying him. There's always, saving faith is always coupled with obedience. It's not just a mental acknowledgement. It's not just an acceptance, but it's always coupled with obedience and has to do with being baptized into Christ. Jesus said himself in Mark 16, 16, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. To believe gives you the right to become a child of God, but you must exercise that right. You see, you don't have the promises of God if you don't love the Lord. And you don't love the Lord unless God's your father. Jesus said so. And you have the right for God to be your father if you believe. But it's not until you believe and obey that you become a child of God and God becomes your father. And that's why Paul said in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26, For as many are sons of God who have faith in Christ Jesus, said we're all sons of God, who have faith in Christ Jesus. For as many have been baptized into Christ, there it is again, into Christ. Where are the blessings found? In God's eternal plan, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. They're all found in him. All spiritual blessings are found in Christ. It's in his mind before the foundation of the world. You've got to believe that gives you the right to become a child of God. And if you'll do that, you can be a child of God when you believe and will be baptized into him clothe yourself with Christ. And if you do, and continue in your love, then you have these wonderful promises of a crown of life, an inheritance, for all eternity. But it's for those who love him, those whose God is their father. Now if you're here tonight, you've never become a child of God by believing and being baptized into Christ. God is not your father, and that means that you don't love God in order to receive his promises. But if you believe God, sent his son, and raised him from the dead, and you want his promises, you love him for what he's done for you because he first loved you, then you need to repent and be baptized, so that, show your love for God, so that you can have hope of the promises of God. Those who love Him have God as their Father. Those who love Him will love Him with their whole heart. Loving God is not just a partial giving of yourself to Him. Jesus said, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me daily. That means you've got to completely die unto the old person that you once were, and you've got to live for the Lord. In Mark chapter 12 and verse 30, He said, you shall love the Lord your God. How? How? It's those who love him who's going to receive these promises. And here's how he tells you to love him. He said, you've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. What's that saying? God didn't want but one thing out of you. He does not want but one thing, and that he wants all of you. He wants all your heart. Your heart is who you are. As a man thinketh in his heart, what? So he is. Who you are is who you are inside. Your heart, your mind. And God says, you've got to love me completely. That's what he's saying. God's saying, you've got to love me totally. You've got to love me with no reservation. You've got to love me with complete, total allegiance. You've got to take up your cross. That meant to take up death. That's what the cross stood for, wasn't it? Death. To crucify Crucify yourself. Follow Jesus. How? Wholeheartedly. Do you love God? No, when you ask yourself, is there any part of my life, if your heart's who you are, is there any part in your life, any part in your heart that you're holding back for self, that you're holding back for sin? then you're not loving God with all your heart. The promises are for those who love him. God will be your father and you'll be his child if you come to him repenting and being baptized and will continue in complete, total allegiance to him. You've got to love him. Sometimes we stumble, but I tell you, it ought to break our heart when we do. And we ought to repent and ought to seek forgiveness. And he's willing to forgive us if we're willing to confess it. He tells us that in 1 John 9. We've got an advocate with the Father. He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we ought to strive for that righteousness, and we ought to strive to be loving him with all of our heart. You know, Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse 16, he said, sanctify Christ Jesus in your heart. What does that mean? To sanctify something means to set apart. You set Christ apart in your heart so that nothing else has in your room. Your heart, you just need to be so full of Christ that that's your life. And that when people look at you, when people observe you, that they see the light of Christ in your life. Jesus said you are the light of the world. And then they need to be able to see your good works in such a way that it may glorify the Father. So there can't be any place in your heart that you're harboring some kind of sin. If there's sin in your life, you need to have it removed so that you can serve God with all your heart. Those who love the Lord, those who God is their Father and love Him with their whole heart completely are those who keep His Word. Jesus answered and said to them, John 14, verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my Word, and my Father would love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. Now, he's had that in his mind before he ever created anybody or anything, before the foundation of the world. He's got wonderful promises for those who love him, for those who will be in his son. Now, it's easy to say, Oh, I love him. It's easy to say, Oh, I want God as my father. It's one thing to say, Oh, I serve him with my whole heart, but do you keep his word? He said to you, If you love me, you keep my word. That's just another way of saying keeping my commandments. You remember in. Uh, John 14, verse 15, if you love me, he said so, you'll keep my commandments. You'll keep my word. We have his word in the scriptures in the New Testament. Tells us what to do, how to live. In fact, in Colossians 3 and verse 17, it tells us that everything that we do, whether it's in our worship, some people in their worship say, oh, I love God, but they don't worship according to the scriptures. Colossians 3 and verse 17 says whatever you do in word or deed, what you say, how you act, whether it's in service or out of service, everything that you do needs to be according to the word of God. When you're at work, what you do, how you act, how you live, needs to be according to God's will. Abide by his word in the way that you deal with people, whether it's how you talk to them, the fairness that you deal with them, or maybe it's as an employer how how you deal with your employees or as an employee, how you deal with your boss do you do you truly give him a full day's work and 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 strive to to be a benefit to the company for which you work? it might be at school how how do people see you how do you act how do you wherever we are, whether it's in worship or out, it needs to be showing love toward god and he says you if you love me, you'll keep my word and as it, that, that touches every facet of our life. Now for those who say they love God, and there's going to be a lot. There's a lot today who say they love God and yet they don't do what he says. Now they do a lot in his name. There's churches all over who say they do what they do in the name of the Lord. And they're expecting one day to receive the promises of God. But God says the only ones who are going to receive his promises are those who love him. That's all. These are prepared for those who love him. And you go over to the Sermon on the Mount when he was, and this is a familiar passage. But think about it in, in these terms: that is, those who love God who are going to be able to enter into heaven and enjoy the, the, the joys of the Lord, the blessings and the promises. And when you look at Matthew chapter seven, here are people he's, he's trying to show that not everybody who says they love me really loves me. The ones who love me hear my word and obey by my my word. He says. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. He's just simply talking about those who love him. Not everybody's going to receive the promises, right? It's for those. They've been prepared from the foundation of the world for those who will be in Christ, for those who will love him. He says, verse twenty-two: Many will say to me on that day, "Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and did we not cast out demons, and and in your name perform many miracles?" There's many things that you can do in religion, and still not be giving your whole heart to the Lord, and not be keeping His word in what you do in your lives, or or what the rest of the things you do in worship. He says, "I will declare to them," verse twenty-three. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye who practice lawlessness. In other words, they're not following God's will. Those who love God abide by his word. Now notice what he's talking. He talks about his word in verse 24. He said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, those who hear my words, my commandments, here's my will, and we've got it. We've got it in the New Testament. We all have a copy of it. Here's God's will for us. The the one who hears these words of mine and acts upon them, he's like a man who builds his house upon the rock. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house, yet it did not fall for it had been founded upon the rock. In other words, in the day of judgment, those who love him are going to stand and they're going to receive an eternal inheritance. The promises of God. Going to be many, however, is going to be disappointing. Because even though they've done many things in the name of the Lord, they've not sought to follow His will in all that they do. And everyone, he says in verse 26, who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them, be like unto the foolish man who built his house upon the sand, and the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and burst against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. There are going to be many who claim to love the Lord and they've really not loved him because they've not kept his words. They've not acted upon them and they're going to be disappointed and they're going to be lost. Now, what was the result of this sermon? It says in verse 28, the result was that when Jesus had finished these words, the multitudes were amazed at his teaching. And I want to tell you, there's a lot of people amazed at that kind of teaching today. Most people, all the teaching teaching they hear is that you just accept Jesus as your personal Savior and you love the Lord. And if you can worship ever how you want to, long as you love the Lord, you can even do some things and live like you want to and and uh, maybe be in different relationships that the, that the Lord doesn't approve of in, in the Scriptures. Maybe have marriages and, that are not scriptural and that, that they'll accept it. They'll say it's okay, long as you love the Lord. I'm telling you, the Lord says if you don't keep my word, you don't love me. But if you will love me, then you'll receive the promises. These have been prepared for those who love him. Who is those who love the Lord? Well, it's those who God is their father. They love him with a whole heart. They keep his word. They, they strive to keep his commandments. And they love their brethren. You know, there's somebody who may otherwise do very well. They are showing their love for the Lord, but they don't love their brethren. John says, you're fooling yourself. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20. If someone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he says, he's a liar. Now, you know who the father of lies is. That goes all the way back up to chapter 8, verse 42, right? He said, if, if God were your father, then you'd love me. But he said, your father is the devil, who's the father of lies. Well he says here if someone says he loves God and hates his brother he is a liar for the one who does not love his brother whom he sees cannot love God whom he's not seen you got to love your brother if you love God now there's no you don't love if you don't love your brother you don't love God that's an old song and it still stands true because it's scriptural there's many ways that we can love our brethren one of the ways is by showing hospitality and that's not just that's not a suggestion in the Scriptures. You know, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 9 is just as much a, a command as anything that we've got in the Scriptures, and it says, Be hospitable to one another without complaint. That's a command. You claim to love God, you don't love your brother, you don't show him hospitality, you don't love God. That's what he's saying. And if you don't love God, you're not going to receive the promises of God. And you know, there's some people who may come in and they may sit on the a pew every week. They may take the Lord's Supper every week, but if they're not hospitable to their brethren, they're not showing love toward their brethren, God's going to be displeased with that. The promises of God are for those who will love him, and he says, if you don't love your brethren, you don't love me. Another way we show love toward our brethren is serving and, and seeing to their needs. Romans chapter 12, verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. You see, loving your brother and seeing to their needs is serving the Lord. Loving your brother is loving the Lord. You've got to serve the Lord and love the Lord to receive his promises. And he says, you don't love me, you're not serving me if you're not serving your brother and loving him. He said, rejoice in hope, Persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints and practicing hospitality. You gotta love your brother. He says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, that we're not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together as a habit of some is, but encouraging one another and building up one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. We need to encourage our brother. We can't encourage him if we don't ever see him. And if we're not there regularly to encourage them and, and to build them up, said you got to love your brother if you're going to love God, and you got to love the Lord, and if you want to receive His promises. Now we ought not have to anybody tell us to do that, just like the Thessalonians. First Thessalonians four and verse nine, Paul said, "Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need to write anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another." For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. I'm not saying we don't love one another here. I think we do. I think we show hospitality to one another and help one another. That's, I see it all the time. Do you know what we can do? Just like those at Thessalonica. We can excel still more. Don't you think we can? I think we can. We all can. I know I can. We've got to strive to do this. Can you love God enough? That's, how, that's what we're talking about, loving God. We love him because he first loved us, and we ought to continue to excel in our love, and doing that by showing love toward our brethren. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1, let the love of the brethren continue, what's involved in that, not neglecting to show hospitality to strangers, for by it some have entertained angels without knowing it. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Those who love him is going to receive wonderful promises, promises that he has had in mind before the foundation of the world, eternal life, inheritance of an eternal kingdom. But it's to those who love him. And finally, those who love him don't love the world. You know, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If, the lo- if anyone loves the world, he said, the love of the Father is not in him. God has these wonderful promises for those who will love him. If you love the world, if I love the world, the love of the Father is not in me. It just can't be. You can't love the lo- world and love the Father. And therefore, we need to be careful about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life, which are the world, because those things are passing away. If I put the things of this world first in my life, lean toward those things, or allow myself to be tempted by those things and give in to those things, I'm loving the world. And you can come, and you can act like, we can act like we're Christians and pretend like we love God, but we'll be disappointed in the Day of Judgment. Well the promises are only for those who love him. Everything works out together for good. That was the other promise. Remember Romans 8 verse 28. All things work together for good to them who that love the Lord. I want you to look at that as we get close here. When he talks about that. we said uh, He's not talking about everything being just a bed of roses. Everything being (laughs) hunky-dory. When you look at the context of this, later on he talks about how that we, we overcome through Christ even though we're being put to death all day long, verse 36, and considered as sheep to the slaughter. That doesn't sound like everything's a bed of roses, does it? But I want to tell you, the person who will serve him, the person who will love him, it'll all work out. Even in times of great persecution. All these things, he said, we even overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. And because he loved us, we love him. And for those who love him, all things will work out together for good, even in times of persecution. And because he was convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And therefore we love him. And everything will work out together for good, even if I face death, it's going to work out. But I've got to show that in my life. And you look at the context before this in in Romans chapter 8, and he's talking about how to live. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, he said, Therefore, uh, now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and from death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did send his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh. You don't love the world, do you? You don't live like the world, you don't walk according to the flesh. But you walk according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Where You love God with all your heart, right? That's your mind. You set your heart, your mind, not on the things of the world, not on the fleshly things, not the worldly things, but the things of God. Those who are according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. See, he said, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. But he says, for it's not able to subject itself to the law of God, and it's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, he said, that's not what you are. He said, you're not of the flesh, but of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. We want to belong to him, right? We want to be his children. We want God to be our Father. The only way you can do that is believe him and obey him. That's showing your love toward him. You see, those who love him, God's their father. They love him with a whole heart. They keep his word, his commandments. They love their brethren. And they don't love the world. They've got a mind set on the spirit, not in the flesh. And for those who will be found loving him when he comes, truly loving, him. not just saying, Lord, Lord, but listening to his word and obeying them, abiding in them, there's wonderful promises for those who love him. You know, Peter said in First Peter chapter 1, verse 8, he said, Though you've not seen him, you love him. And though you've not seen him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with a joy inexpressible full of glory. And the reason is because we've got wonderful promises. I've not seen Jesus, but I'm going to see him. I've not seen him, and yet I love him. Not because of my goodness, but because he first loved me and gave himself for me, and therefore I love him. I don't know about you, when I look at passages like that, it makes me want to address my life and love him more. I look at my life and I think, you know, it's easy to say, "Oh, I love, I love the Lord, preach the gospel and love the Lord." Sometimes don't act like we love him, do it. We? we need to repent. Strive every day to be more loving toward our Father in heaven who's loved us. Gave his life for us. And before he ever created us, had in mind for us wonderful promises. All prepared. Things I had not seen, ears not heard. All that God had prepared for those who love him. If you love the Lord, won't you come tonight? Repent, be baptized, serve him. Show your love toward him. If you've not been living like you ought to as a Christian, won't you change your life? Repent. Show your love toward him even tonight while we stand and sing the song.